Hope everyone's doing okay out there. I would say good to see you, but I, I, I can't see you. Um, but uh, I'm just gonna assume that you're out there and I uh, look forward to seeing you. So before I get into the lesson today, I kind of wanted to give you guys some, some good news, some encouraging things that are happening. Um, this week we started back having uh, some of the groups here at the church, had our military ministry and had a couple of different small groups and, and um, kind of getting things moving a little bit through those phases we've been talking about, about eventually getting to some kind of, of normalcy around here. So been very, very encouraging. There's been a lot of people sign up for prayer. Um, thank you guys so much for responding to that and coming and, um, and, and just more people praying in this room and had hundreds and hundreds of people sign up for prayer, and that is very, very encouraging. Thank you so much. Um, we've been building up. Uh, we're, we're starting to build up to where we can start having weekend services, and uh, I'm not going to tell you a specific date. Uh, we kind of have one marked that we're going to shoot for, which is uh, not that far away, and we've been talking with some other churches in town, and we're all going to kind of do it, I think, for the most part around the same time. So Things are moving forward. It's been encouraging. It's, uh, it's been good. So hang in there with us. Be patient with us. Um, we're doing everything we can to be responsible and, and, um, and still get us back in, into, into the church, into the building. So uh, I think Spanish ministry is going to start up soon again, and they're going to have their services, and, and um, things have been, been very, very good. So again, hope you guys are doing well. If it's your first time with us, we have been working through... A book of the Bible that, again, I say this every week, I would argue it's probably the most important book of the entire Bible, and it's where everyone, I think, should begin. So if you're curious or you're a new Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for decades, but you've never read the Bible, I think everyone should start in the book of Matthew. And that's what we've been working through. We are not quite um, halfway through. We're about a third through the book of Matthew. We did half of chapter 10 last week, and chapter 10 starts to do a shift in kind of what the book of Matthew is focusing on. The first nine, I think people are drag racing out in front of our building right now. Anyways, um, the first nine chapters of the book of Matthew really focus on Jesus, right? The birth of Jesus, the, the ministry of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus uh, teaching about the principles of the kingdom of God. And then we see a shift in chapter 10, to where not only is it just about Jesus, Jesus is going to commission his followers, his disciples, these 12 men that he's been taking with him to see him do miracles and heal people and forgive people of their sins. In chapter 10, we see him look at his disciples and say, now I'm going to equip you to go out and do the same things that I have been doing. So we talked about last week a little bit there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians, but we've kind of gotten that definition wrong. We, we should probably say more that we are disciples because there's a lot of people who are nominal. They say they're, they're, they, they, they're Christian in name, but they don't actually follow and do the things Jesus wants them to do. So they're not really disciples, but Jesus wants us to be disciples. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're gonna kind of still go down that same vein a little bit. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is kind of, of, of giving his disciples, these, these 12 men, kind of a snapshot of what it means to go out and do ministry, to do the work that Jesus wants them to do. And so in chapter 10, it was pretty encouraging. You're going to go out, you're going to heal the sick, you're going to raise the dead, you're going to cast out demons, you're going to share the gospel, people are going to be saved. 
That sounds pretty good. And then as we get into the second part of chapter 10, the reality of how hard the mission is going to be starts to come to light, okay? Now listen, the second part of chapter 10, in my opinion, has probably two of the most memorable statements in the entire word of God, and we'll get to them here in a second, but I really, really love the second half of chapter 10. But we're gonna talk about this, that we have to lose our lives in order to truly live. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But in order to live, we have to die. That's what we're gonna talk about today, all right? So if you have your Bibles, we're in the first book of the New Testament. We're in the second half of chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 24. If you have the Experience Community app, click on Service Times, Sermon Notes. Everything will be there. The scripture, all the notes, everything. Very, very convenient. If you're watching online, there are notes on our website at experiencecc.com. And it makes it very, very easy to follow along. And you can go back and look at those notes. So we should have everything ready to go. So I'm going to pray. And we will jump into the second half of chapter 10, and we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? All right. Father, Lord, we love you, God. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful, God, that people have been coming in and praying. Lord, I'm thankful, God, that that you're refining us during this time, even though it is very, very difficult. Lord, we're we're, we're thankful for the sunshine, Father. We're thankful, God, that that, that so many people have, have stayed healthy, Lord, and We just thank you, God, because you're good. Even in times of hardship and confusion, Lord, you're good. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray for our church, Lord, the Experience Community Church. We pray for our Woodbury campus, our College Grove campus, uh, Crossland campus, God, and for for the Murfreesboro campus. God, we pray for every church in our city, in our county, God. We pray for our governments, Lord. We pray for, Lord, we pray for our world. We're all struggling right now, God, and we need you. Pray that more people's eyes turn to you, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Father. Be with me today as I do my best to teach your word. And I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth reflects your heart, God. We, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. This is almost everything. Yeah, everything we're gonna say today is directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 10, a disciple is not above his teacher, or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known." What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. One of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. So here's the thing. After the disciples were walking with Jesus, they have seen miracles. 
They have seen sins forgiven. They have seen lives changed. Now Jesus is going to point to the hard parts of being a follower of him. And Jesus' argument is this, that if they're going to treat me bad, the leader, why do you not think they wouldn't treat you bad as well? So here's the thing. He says, if God incarnate, Jesus, is called Beelzebub, which literally means Lord of the, Lord of the Flies. So without being graphic, right, because I know you're probably with your family right now, that's basically saying, if I'm going to be uh, uh, called the, the Lord of excrement, right, the Lord of feces, why do you think that you would escape being treated poorly? You're going to be treated poorly because I'm treated poorly, is what Jesus was saying. Now, here's the thing. The American church struggles with this, and I'm not here today just to bash America. I'm not here to bash the American church, but we struggle with this because we live in a nation that is remarkably comfortable. And because we're remarkably comfortable, we have become a, a large group of people who profess to be Christians, but we have taken our faith for granted, and we have even become entitled, thinking that God owes us or that the church owes us, Right? God owes me this, or the church owes me this. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not the attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus even said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. So this is not the attitude of Jesus. This is not the attitude of the Bible. And this is going to offend some of you, but I'm just kind of past caring right now. That we have twisted the word of God to be the American dream. And we have looked at this book through such a selfish American mentality that we have made it into be something that it's not intended to be. And we need to be very careful with that. So hard times, even the one that we're going through right now, this should not push us away from God like it is with so many people. This should draw us closer. This should make us realize that we should be more dependent on God. And in times when we are mistreated and when we are taken advantage of, this should be, bring Christians joy because it associates us with Christ. Christ was mistreated, and if we're mistreated because we follow Christ, that shouldn't bother us. That should, we should say, wow, we're like our leader. We're being treated like our leader. Now, let's be clear here for a second, though. We have not faced persecution in the United States yet. Listen, being unfriended on Facebook is not persecution. I've had so many people say during this time, man, the government is persecuting us. The government is writing checks to churches. We have not taken that, and we're not going to take that. But we are not being oppressed. We are not being persecuted right now. And that's why passages like this in Matthew are so distant for American Christians. We can't associate with persecution yet. So one of the fears that Jesus' disciples had when they were going to go out and Jesus is saying it's going to be tough, one of the fears that they had was that if they go out and they're sharing the gospel and they're doing everything Jesus told them to do, they had a fear that if people mistreated them, if people beat them or cast them out or said horrible things about them, they had a fear that justice wouldn't be served, that those people will not pay for the evil things that they have done. And Jesus assures them, he says, don't be afraid. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. So whatever people do, they're going to be held accountable. What that means is no action escapes the eyes of God. God sees it all. And every single person, including you and I, every single person will be held justly accountable eventually. 
all of us will be held accountable for what we do or even what we don't do. We will be held accountable for those things. Another fear that the disciples had, and this is a very natural, normal fear, is they were afraid of being hurt. They were afraid of of getting beat up or, or possibly even killed. Now that's natural. It is natural to be afraid of getting hurt. But Jesus tells us that our fears should not be for our temporal lives on this earth. Our fear should be not having an eternal life with him. So don't be afraid of what's happening now. Be afraid of if we're not going to go to heaven with Jesus. So we often fear physical harm, but any physical pain we may feel on this earth will pale in comparison to an eternity separated from God. So even if we are tortured, even if we are beat, even if we are, are, are killed, nothing here, the pain of anything in this life, will not compare to a life separated from God for eternity. So we must first fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That is Jesus. That's If we're going to be afraid of anyone or if we're going to fear anyone's power, we should only fear Jesus's power. No one else's. So that brings us to this question of fear. And I hate this. I hate the word fear. But there is a healthy fear and there is an unhealthy fear. Now listen, it is okay and it is natural for you to be afraid at certain times, right? Some of us have been afraid during this COVID-19 thing and and that's natural. It is natural to be afraid of getting sick or possibly dying. It's naturally okay to be afraid of bad things happening to our children or our spouse or whatever the case may be. But listen, God has not designed us to live in constant fear or constant anxiety, either about our social place, right? Like where we are in society and how people feel about us or even our physical status. So though there are moments where we will be afraid, it says in 2 Timothy and it says in the book of Philippians, we are not designed, we are not engineered to live in fear. That is not a spirit given to us by God. And that's not how we're engineered to live. There's moments, but it's not to be a lifestyle of fear, not to be a lifestyle of anxiety. But there is a healthy fear that the Christian has, and that is a fear of the Lord. It even says in the book of Proverbs that the beginning of all wisdom starts with a fear of the Lord. See, we know from the word of God, Jesus himself says it, that we're not always going to be popular. Christian, you should know that we're not always going to be popular. We also know from the word of God that we may lose our lives, literally, for our faith. And it happens all around the world right now. It doesn't happen in our country yet. But we should know that these things are coming. So we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't live in anxiety of those things. Here's the beauty of this first passage that I read, though. And this is probably, if not my favorite story, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. So Jesus is sharing these hardships that are going to come for his disciples. And Jesus, because he knew their thoughts, he knew what they were feeling, he knew what they were thinking. Jesus stops in the middle of talking to his disciples about how hard it's going to be. And he looks at them and he says, hey guys, how much are sparrows sold for in the marketplace? Two for a penny, right? Two for a penny. And they were probably like, yes, Jesus. Yeah, those cheap birds that you can buy in the marketplace. And Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, 
Every single time one of those birds dies and hits the ground, your father in heaven knows. These cheap little birds. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, do you know that God has counted every hair on your head? And again, the disciples were probably like, what is he talking about? Here's what he was talking about. If God knows every time an insignificant little bird hits the ground and you and I are made in the image of God, given the spirit of God, right? We are the pinnacle of his creation. If God knows every time a bird dies and hits the ground, Jesus turns around, looks at his disciples, and he says, how much more valuable do you think you are? Aren't you worth more than many sparrows? What he was saying is this. God knows that there will be times when we will be afraid, but he loves us and we're to go back to him and we're to be reassured by his word and we're to be reassured by the fact that he died on a cross for us because he loves us and because we know that Jesus died on the cross and because we have the word of God, we, listen, this is very important, we need to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord which means I don't have to call you every day. Your spouse doesn't have to look at you every day. Someone doesn't have to knock on your door every day and tell you how great you are and how loved you are. We need to be able to go back to Jesus. We need to be able to go back to the word of God and know that God loves us ridiculously. Will it be hard? Yeah, it's gonna be hard. The word says it's gonna be hard. Will it be dangerous? Yes, at times it will be dangerous. Will we be unpopular at times? Yes, we will be unpopular. We may even have to give our literal lives but we are made in the image of God, we are worth more than these birds that hit the ground. And every single time an animal dies on earth, God knows it, but we are worth much more than that. There is comfort, there is beauty in this, 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 this story about birds that Jesus tells his disciples. Next part. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be held the members will be the members of his household the one who loves a father or, mo- or mother more than me is not worthy of me the one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me one of the most important lines in the bible right here anyone who finds his life will lose it And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Very, very big. What Jesus is telling his disciples to do is to adopt a fearless perspective on life. Jesus assures us and he affirms. He says, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge them. But anyone who denies me before others, I will deny them in front of their father in heaven. Now, we need to take this at face value. It simply means this. Jesus is the advocate for the faithful. So if we stick by Jesus, Jesus sticks by us. But if we cower to culture, 
if we cave to society and what society thinks, Jesus says, if you deny me on earth, I'm going to deny you in heaven, right? And we take that at face value. It's not hard to understand. A very sobering scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All of us are going to have to stand in front of the judge, and we are going to want Jesus Christ as our advocate. So we do not deny him now, because if we do, he's going to deny us in the time when we stand in front of the great judge. So we're called to have a, a fearless life, but fearless doesn't mean foolish. Though we are to live above constant fear, like I said though before, there's going to be times of fear, and that's okay, it's natural. There's going to be times of anxiety, it's natural, but that's not our, our life, that's not every day. But though we are called to live above fear and anxiety, that doesn't give us license to live foolishly. Jesus says in the book of Luke that no wise man would build a building before counting the costs, which means this. A lot of people, oftentimes, people use their faith as an excuse to do rash, hasty, and foolish things. When the Bible says, and Jesus says, you're to pray for wisdom. You're to seek the gift of knowledge. You're to seek discernment. You're to count the cost. Use your brain. But a lot of people will come up to me and they'll say, well, God told me to do this, or I'm going to do this. I can't tell you how many pastors have contacted this church over the years and they said, well, I felt like God told me to build a $25 million building. And then if, if people, if, if I would just build it, people would flood it and come. And then it didn't happen. And literally the Bible says, count the cost before you do something like that. Just because we live a life dependent on the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we act like morons and idiots. We're still, still supposed to use common sense. We're still supposed to use the practical advice that the Bible gives us still to use the mind that God has given us. Jesus says another very, very interesting thing. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now that's a very, very interesting statement because back just a couple of chapters during the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's chapter five, when Jesus says, blessed are peacemakers. So wait a second. In one chapter, Jesus says, blessed are you if you're a peacemaker. But here, Jesus says his mission would cause division, even amongst family units. Now, that's not a contradiction. The Bible does not contradict itself. Jesus does not contradict himself. There's not a contradiction here. Here's what this means. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he is talking about people who have internal peace. And that's what the gospel does. It gives us peace internally. The division is because the truth of the gospel draws a line in the sand of what is right and what is wrong. So when Jesus says, I came to bring a sword, that was a dividing line that said, this is right, this is wrong. And whenever you make an absolute stand on what is right and what is wrong, it will always cause division. So yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace internally. Jesus also causes great division because Jesus came and said, this is of God and that is not of God. And it draws a line. That's the sword he's referring to, is a line between righteousness and unrighteousness. And that will always be divisive. 
So Jesus goes on and he says basically that no one is worthy of me unless they love me more than anyone else in this life or anything in this life. So Jesus moves from the division, from the, the, the hardships of following him back to kind of the standard by which Christians are to be held, right? And the first one that he kind of mentions is that we must love God more than anyone or anything in this life, on this earth, even our families, because it is only by seeking him first that everything else lines up the way it should. So Jesus knew that. And so now listen, if you're watching this and maybe you're not a believer or maybe you're a new believer, to read Jesus's statement that says, you have to love me more than your wife, your husband, you have to love me more than your sons and your daughters and your family, man, that sounds a little cold at first. And in fact, when you take a step back, if you're being honest right now, even if you are a Christian, take a step back, you're like, man, it is pretty bizarre, I guess, for an invisible God to tell me to love him more than my family that I can see right here. But here's what we learn from this. Here's the point. God knows that if we do not love him more than anything in anyone, that we are incapable of showing proper love to the people that we do love on this earth. It's, it's like this. If we don't love God first, I can't be the husband that I'm supposed to be. If I don't love God first, I can't raise my children correctly. If I don't love God first, I can't love my neighbor, let alone those who hate me, right? I can't do that. So God says, connect with me first. And if you will connect with me first, you will be able to connect with everyone else. That's what he means right there. Love me first. And he will equip us to love others the way we should. That's what he means by that. It's all about perspective, isn't it? So first, we are to, to love God above all things. Second, we must be willing to stick with him till the end, whatever that end is, right? The end of our lives, him coming back, whatever the case may be. And so Jesus tells us we have to be willing to take up a cross and be willing to lose our lives in order to find it. Seriously, guys, that's probably one of the most provocative, interesting statements in the entire word of God, that the only way we learn to live is by losing our life. What does that mean? And this is where, guys, this is where it gets really, really hard for all of us, all of us, even me, all of us. This means that we are to give up our rights for the sake of the kingdom. Even if there are things that we can do that aren't sinful, right? even if it's a certain geographical area we want to live in or a certain job that we want to take or whatever the case may be. Jesus says, put it all in my hands, right? Seek my kingdom first. Lose all the things you want and replace them with the things that I want. This may be our passions. It may be our material possessions. It may be our hopes and our dreams and our ambitions. It may even mean our literal lives. Jesus says, give all those things up for the sake of my kingdom, and you will find out what it really means to live. That is a fascinating statement. And we're going to go back to that statement at the end, because I want to talk a little bit more about it. Okay, next part. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. 
Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he is righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. What does this talk about? A cup of cold water. We'll get to that. So Jesus gets back to telling the disciples kind of the nuts and bolts of how to go out town to town all over Israel and share the gospel with people. So he says, when you go into a town, find worthy people, that's in the last, uh, uh, last lesson we talked about, who will host you during ministry. Jesus tells them that acceptance or rejection is not their fault. So if you go to someone's house and you share the gospel and they reject you, it's not your fault. And if they accept you, it's not really your doing either. So here's the thing. The acceptance of the good news about Jesus Christ is not up to us. The presentation of the gospel is up to us. There's a lot of liberation in that. If you're someone watching me right now and you have a heart for lost people, I hope all Christians have a heart for lost people. But there are times, and guys, it is very, very uh, uh, discouraging when you share the gospel with someone, you have shown the gospel to people, you've walked with them, you've talked with them, you've loved them to the best of your abilities, and they reject it. And I don't know about anyone watching, but I, I take that, like, I can take that very personally. What did I do wrong? How could I have done it better? God, I'm sorry. And we learn in this moment, Jesus says, if they reject you, it's not you. They're rejecting the gospel. We're not responsible for the outcome. We're just responsible for planting the seeds and watering it. It's only God that can make things grow. And it is only individuals who are responsible for their choices. I'm not responsible for people's choices. I'm just responsible for presenting the gospel to them and giving them the choice. So Jesus says, God honors those who show honor to other, to other people. Jesus assures us that, that if we show righteous people honor, will be honored by God now and for eternity. The problem with this part, right, this talk of honor, is you and I, if you live in the United States, we don't live in a culture of honor right now. We don't respect people. We're extremely disrespectful. We're extremely entitled. We're an extremely rude culture. And we think that maybe if other people put us first and serve us and our demands are met, maybe we will somehow reciprocate that. But honor in our culture is a very difficult subject, right? Things like submitting to authority and being respectful and, and learning to work hard and earn the things that we have. It's, it's, it's tough for us right now. We're not a culture of honor. So passages like this are maybe difficult for us to kind of interpret and live out right now. We're also a people that struggles with reward, not receiving things, but earning things. Jesus tells his disciples that those that give even a cup of cold water to those uh, who, who, who are going out and doing the work of the Lord, they will never lose their reward. Those who give a cup of cold water, the reason that analogy is important is anyone can give a cup of cold water. I go to Africa quite a bit, and even in Africa, in a third world nation in Uganda where people are very, very poor, they will still offer you a bottled water that you can't drink water out of the tap there, but they will give you a water, right? Anyone can do that. And so Jesus is saying, anyone can serve the kingdom. It's just a desire issue. 
And if you have a desire to serve the kingdom, we will receive a reward, but we may not get that reward immediately. It may be a reward that we receive in the afterlife. Now, again, where we struggle with that in the United States is we have a problem with, with not wanting rewards. We want rewards. We have a problem working with it. We have a problem wanting to earn it. We have a problem waiting. We're extremely impatient. I'm extremely impatient. And so we want everything now. We want it for free, and we don't have to do much to get it, right? And Jesus says if we will be willing, though, to do the work, there is a reward. It may not be immediate, but God is faithful, and he will reward us according to what we've done. So Jesus want his, he wanted his disciples to know that there are benefits of following Jesus now, right now. Jesus said, there are benefits of, of walking the direction I want you to walk immediately, but the real reward comes later. So again, it's a perspective issue. The perspective of our lives, if you call yourself a Christian, or maybe you don't, but you're exploring this, unless we start taking on an eternal perspective, until we start taking on a heavenly perspective, we will never see things the way we should. So living for Jesus makes life better, not easier. If you go to a church and they tell you that, that living for Jesus is easier, you've probably walked into a prosperity gospel-driven, seeker-sensitive church that doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and you're going to get a lot of bad theology. Living for Jesus is better, but it's not easier. And it's better now. To be a Christian right now is better, right? You're going to have a better marriage. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to raise your children better. You're going to spend your money better. You're going to do a lot better if you follow Christian principles in the Word of God. It makes life better now. But the real reward of following Jesus comes later. It's in the life to come. And if we have an eternal perspective, compare eternity to our lives and if we will just spend this time wisely, we reap a reward that lasts forever. And that is the perspective that Jesus wanted his disciples to see. Guys, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You may get your teeth kicked in, but hold on. Because I have a reward for you that you can't even wrap your mind around. It's going to be amazing. Let me go back to, to what I think is, again, one of the most amazing statements in the, in the entire Bible, that those who will lose their lives for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus said in this chapter. Let me ask you guys this. We live in a culture, we live in a society that tells you, identify however you want, go wherever you want, do whatever you want, choose whatever you want, say whatever you want, Believe whatever you want. It's all about you. It's all about your needs, your desires, your wants, your ambitions. That's the society we live in. Now, if you disagree with me on that, maybe you live in another country than the United States or maybe a different planet than Earth. I don't know. But we live in a culture now to where it is all about self, individual, right? The pursuit of self. If we can agree on that, if you're watching that right now and you can agree with me, whether you're a believer or not a believer, that we live in a culture of the pursuit of self. If we can agree on that. I just want to ask the question, what has been the cost of society's constant grasp 
for more of our own selfish desires. Is it better? Have we become better people? The more we have selfishly pursued our desires, have we loved each other more? Are we less violent? Are we less depressed? Are we less anxious? Are we more fulfilled? Has our pursuit of self given us the fulfillment that we have longed for? I don't think it has. So our way is not working. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus even says that, doesn't he? He says that whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who pursues self will never find life. That's what Jesus says. And we're seeing it in culture and in society right now. So how do we truly live? To truly live, we must die to self. We must intentionally desire what God wants. We must choose to desire his ways, his thoughts, his ideas, his kingdom. And if we will do that, we will find out what it means to really live. We will find fulfillment. We will be changed in a positive way. We will be saved, right? For eternity. But we have to be willing to lay down ourselves and pick up what he wants. We have to die to ourselves. We have to lose our lives in order to find it. It's a very challenging thing. But we even see it in society today. So what Jesus wants his disciples, guys, I'm not talking about the 12, I'm talking about us. What Jesus wants anyone who follows him to do is he wants us to dig deeper than what is just right in front of our face. He wants us to dig deeper than just the temporary things that we experience in this life. Now, does that mean that being a Christian is easy? Heck no, right? Is being a Christian easy? Absolutely not. But we have to learn and we have to choose to look past the temporary and we have to catch a glimpse of the eternal, that the scope is bigger than what we see here. Man, listen, I'm, I'm a Rolling Stones fan. I don't know if that upsets anyone out there, but the other day I was trying to find a, a funny meme to email someone on staff here. I always send Adri, who does the uh, help with the notes and stuff, I send her funny memes. And there was this meme of Keith Richards, right, from the Rolling Stones. And dude just looks rough, right? There's no new news there. No offense, Keith, if by some crazy chance you watch this, but he looked rough. And this is a guy who was one of the forefathers of rock and roll and one of the greatest guitar players ever, and it's Keith Richards. But I'm looking at this picture, and I'm like, man, he's going to die soon. Like, he looks rough. He's aging, and he doesn't have the energy he did and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this life is temporary. And this is a guy that had it all. But see, what we do is we aspire to have this status and to have these houses and to be beautiful and to have all these things. And the Bible says all those things will pass away. They're fleeting. They're temporary. So Jesus says, follower, disciple, look bigger, go deeper. It's not just about the pleasures of this temporary life. Sacrifice in the temporary so you can receive the eternal. God wants more for us than just this life, and thank God for it, because if, if this is all there is, man, this life can be brutal, brutal. But Jesus is saying, go deeper. Hang with me. Stick with me during this temporary, 
and we'll be together for eternity. And God doesn't just want that for you. God wants that for your neighbor. Man, God wants that for your kids. God wants that for that coworker that no one likes and they need Jesus, right? So God wants us to extend this truth to other people who need this. The cup of cold water, right? Anyone can do this. Well, Corey, I'm not talented. Corey, I'm not this. Corey, I'm not that. It doesn't matter. Anyone can give a cup of cold water to someone in need. And God says he will reward us for that. Anyone can say hello to the new person. Anyone can go out of their way and say, hey, I know that you may not be a believer, but can I pray for your marriage? Or can I do anything for you? Or can I get you a cup of coffee? Or whatever the cold water is, the cup of cold water. We can all do this. And people need to know there are so many people out there, guys. There are so many people out there that need something greater because this world is not doing it for them. And it shouldn't. It's not designed to. God loves us. If you don't hear anything else I said today, more than sparrows, God loves you. If God knows every single time a bird that's worth half a penny hits the ground, if God knows how much more valuable are you made in his image, given a soul, how much more valuable are you than many sparrows, he says. God loves you. And God wants to expand our view to see something greater than just our limited ideas, our limited dreams, our limited perspective. He wants us to see more like he sees. So let me ask you, do we trust that God will be faithful even when we can't see the outcome? We're in a time right now of tremendous uncertainty. Do you trust God or are you freaking the heck out? This will offend you. God has not designed Christians to freak the heck out during times like this. It's not how we're supposed to live. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be smart. Doesn't mean you should go around like licking telephone poles or something weird like that. But we are not designed to live in fear and anxiety and paralyzing, right? It's not how we're designed. Do you trust God regardless of what the future looks like on this earth? Do you trust God despite how government's going to look or what economies are going to look like? Do we trust God regardless of the outcome? Do we have a desire to dig deeper? Man, is our only aspiration to live in this certain neighborhood? Is our only aspiration to become a CEO of our company? Is our only aspiration to have six figures in the bank? Is our only aspiration to have sex with the prettiest girl or be with the most muscular guy? Is that, is that it? Is that as deep as we get? Is it to watch as much Netflix as we can and drive a certain car? Is that as deep as we go? Is it about having a political affiliation or, man, let's talk, is it about having the biggest church or writing a book or whatever? Is that, is that as deep as we get? Or do we long to go deeper? Are we willing to go into the deep end of the pool of our faith? Are we willing to, to, to push all the chips in the middle? Are we willing to lay ourselves down in order to find out what living really is. Listen, today is not a day of deep theology. I'm not talking about deep systematic theology if you're not a believer in here 
or if you are a believer. I'm not getting into the deep theological conversations today. I'm simply asking the question today, are you even willing to get into the deep waters? Are you even willing to lay it all down to see something greater than what this world shows us? Are we even willing to walk down the road? It may be brutal. It may be hard. We may be spat upon. We may even lose our literal lives. But right now, at this point in the word of God, Jesus is looking at us and just saying, are you even willing to walk down the road? He loves us. He's there for us. He has something waiting for us better than anyone can even imagine. Even though the book of Revelation gives us just a glimpse, we can't even fathom how beautiful our eternity with God is going to be. But we have to be willing to lay it all on the line. We have to be willing to lose our lives in order to find what living really is. If you're watching this right now, and maybe that part about society resonated with you, that we have pursued ourselves and it has not given us the results we've wanted. If you're watching this and you're not a believer and maybe that just kind of like sparks something in your heart, send us an email, info at experiencecc.com or you can call our office. Give us a call, send us an email. We will touch base with you, right? Restaurants are open now. Maybe we'll get lunch with you or you can come in and talk to one of us. Please get a hold of us. If you are in this room and you need prayer, please, there's been so many of you reach out to us. Marriages that are hurting and people sick and just people struggling with this isolation, please get a hold of us. We will pray with you. We'll come see you if we're able to. We'll do everything we can to help you out, okay? The last thing is this. And again, I, I, I kind of railed on this a little bit last week, and I'll, I'll tell you guys, we took communion last week with apple juice and a wheat thin that we broke into four pieces. I'm not concerned if you have this fancy styrofoam-looking thing and actual wine. That's, that's, that's not it. But I, I want to challenge you, if you're watching this right now, get something, right? Because this is symbolic of something that is, that is of the utmost importance, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Take it by yourself. Take it with your spouse. Take it with your children. Guys, I've really loved that. I've gotten to take communion with my children. It's been really, really beautiful. Please take the time to do this. And it reminds us, this is how much God loves us. Bread and juice. No, no, no. He gave his body and his blood because we are worth more than sparrows. Father, God, we take this bread today, Lord, to remember your son that was sent, God, who was beat, spat upon, who willingly walked to a cross, God, and was crucified for us. Lord, it says that by his stripes we're healed. We may not be healed in this lifetime, God, but we will be eternally healed with you if we will just give our lives to you. We take this bread to remember his body broken for us. Father, Lord, we take this wine to remember the blood that Jesus shed, the blood that covers up sin and shame and guilt. Lord, it washes us white as snow, God, as your word says, that our sins are cast into the deep sea as far as the east is from the west, Lord. We thank you for the blood shed by your son, Jesus Christ, because it saves us, it purifies us, it cleanses us. God, you lost your life so we could find it, so we could find life, God. Life everlasting, life in abundance, God. Lord, I pray that just like you laid your life down for the kingdom, I pray, God, that we will lay our lives down for your kingdom. 
Lord, thank you for your blood that was shed for us, God. Lord, I love you. God, for everyone out there right now that's struggling during this time of isolation, Lord, I pray that your spirit gives them comfort and peace. For all the marriages out there, God, that are struggling, Lord, I pray, Lord, that the men can love their wives like you love us and that women can respect their husbands. I pray for the families out there that are struggling, God, that the husbands, the wives, the fathers, the mothers, Lord, that they can lead their families well, God. I pray that children will honor their parents, Lord, as your word tells them to do. We pray for our government, God. We pray for Mayor Shane. We pray for Governor Bill. We pray, God, for President Trump. We pray, Jesus, that, that through all this, God, that we learn something, that we dig deeper. Father, I pray, Lord, that we take our eyes off ourselves and we look up to you, God. Lord, that we would truly be willing to lose our lives in order to find what living really is. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. Be with all my brothers and sisters, God, and those seeking the truth, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Hope to see you soon. Thank you.